everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but Foodie married Beast anyway, and together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Hey everybody, welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis on a stunning Sunday in August. Most important thing is that all the kids are coming home from camp next week. Yay! Summer's over. Forget Summer's it. Summer's over. But we're going to keep it going here today. Mm-hmm. So we got a great, great show today. Um, we are going to start off talking about Bolivian wines. You hear about Colombian wines. You hear about, you know, Mexican wines. We're really talk- Bolivian spirits. Well, there it's. Wines and spirits. Okay. All right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ramon Escobar is in here with TLI uh, Long from Two Fly Did you Imports. say it right? Yeah. 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 TLI. Yeah, Pretty close. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's not Beth. <laughs> you know? And we're going to talk about uh, a number of things, including a, a spirit called Rujero Singani, which smells great and it's going to taste good in a second as I give it a sip. Right. All right. And then. And so have you heard about Glorious Bites? Glorious Bites is a huge competition that's happening across the country, initiated by the Gloria Ferrar Sparkling Wine Company. And they are doing a huge event here in D.C. in September, which I happen to be a judge of. Shockingly enough. And um, but what they are asking amateur chefs to do is create appetizers to go with their sparkling wine. So it's a national competition and they'll be doing a part of it here. And later in the show, we'll be learning you're being more so about shy. it. so shy. They only had four judges around the country and you're one of them. That's true. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> show me the money. That's what I say. <laughs> That's what it's all about. And I mean, since it's super boozy in studio today, we figured we had to sweat out all that booze. And one way to do that is with this new Orange Theory Fitness. So I actually gave it a shot a couple of weeks ago, and they really ran my tush off. So in studio today, we have Julie Rogers. She's going to tell us all about this new kind of circuit training and how you can get in on it. All right. And I was going to start off by saying, if you haven't been to a Lebanese Taverna recently, and I have because I eat lunch there about three times a week in uh, Tyson's. But they've got, I mean, it's fabulous Middle Eastern foods, shawarma, tzatziki, which apparently isn't Lebanon. Well, that's what the Greeks call it. That's what I call it. And damn you. But the grilled kafta and all of that. Um, uh, Grace Shea is in. Grace is part of the uh, family that owns uh, Lebanese Taverna. And she's in with um, uh, mixologist Chad Spangler. And they're going to be talking about a new cocktail they've come up with, milk and honey, that has... Has I don't know pureed or whatever. Aquafaba. Uh, yeah, but it's chickpeas. Right. Chickpea milk. Yeah. yeah. Chickpea milk. Don't try drinking them unless they've been <laughs> chopped up a little. <laughs> All right. And Restaurant Week is coming back, it August fifteenth to twenty first. Mm-hmm. Along with some great offerings, they're going to be great Bulgarian wines. What? What? Yes, Bulgarian wines. <laughs> uh, Mara Natanasov is in with uh, Eva Kaleva. Did I do it right? Eva Kaleva. I got to get my names right. And then we're going to be talking about, uh, um, we're going to be tasting a number of different Bulgarian wines uh, throughout the show. And Maren, why don't we start well, with Well, and you? actually, yeah, sure. and- yeah, come on close to the mic. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, hi, everybody. I'm uh, very pleased to be here. Yeah, uh, we come here to Washington to to represent some uh, East European wines in general. And to do that, uh, I'm going to give you an example with uh, one of the oldest country producing wine in uh, Europe. Uh, that's Bulgaria, where we come from. Uh, we choose Bulgaria not just because uh, we come from there, but we have a great example of wines. We have a mixture of international grape varieties. We have a mixture of uh, local grape varieties that nobody have heard about it. We have a great um, uh, sea climate. We have the mountains. We have the lowlands. We have the valleys, and uh, but I would love to speak to you a little bit more about it. But uh, you can hear about it uh, during the restaurant week because tomorrow we are doing a master class, and we're gonna tell all the sommeliers in the city about uh, the, the wine from the East Europe and Bulgaria in particular. And I believe they're gonna answer to you. I'm um, I'm gonna start uh, with a very uh, one of my favorite wine. Uh, it's a Riesling. Uh, we love Riesling. Riesling is one of the grape that uh, changed to the terroir traveling around the world, but always keep something inside it that say proudly, I'm Riesling. Uh, this one is coming from the uh, region that I'm coming from, the Black Sea coast. It's uh, actually situated something like 60, 80 kilometers from the Black Sea. So you get the, the sea weather uh, cooling up the climate and the Riesling loves the cool weather. Um, 2014 is the vintage, it wasn't a great weather in the north, north of Europe, but Bulgaria is south region, and in the south region, even in the cool, in the cool year, you can produce a great, uh, great wine. I think that. everybody thinks of Bulgaria, I, when I, when I think of it, I think of it as just a, it, like, kind of cold and cool year round, is that accurate? No, actually we are a uh, warm climate, uh, region. You could uh, be wrong. Do you have palm trees in Bulgaria? Uh, I don't yes. think so. <laughs> no, uh, uh, in, uh, okay, uh, I'll, uh, I'll stay somewhere in the middle, but uh, compared to the rest, to the Germany, for example, Austria or uh, north of France, we are warm climate region. We, we, we do the same like uh, south of Italy, Languedoc, uh, we do really? the same like Portugal and uh, south so of So in the winter, I mean, it's in, like in Sicily in the winter, it's maybe in the low 60s, so. Uh, yeah, uh, we have four seasons. We, we have four seasons, they're uh, very precise like three months for huh. winter, three months for spring, three months for uh, summer. Uh, shall we go back to the wine? Let's uh, go back to the wine. <laughs> He's taking over is the show. Is it your show? Whose show He's is it? He's taking over the show. I like it. Um, so, you know, can we talk a little bit about Riesling? I mean, a lot of people... I'm spe specifically one of them. I mean, I just personally don't love Riesling because I find it has a high sugar residue in its um, taste. But this one is pretty, it doesn't have uh, nearly that kind of uh, uh, okay, sense. Uh, I know you all, I know all you wine guys love Riesling. Every single person who comes in here, and we've been doing this for eight years, always pours a Riesling. They're always like, I have a Riesling for you. You will like this one. Um, it's just not, it's just not a personal preference. But this doesn't have uh, as nearly as high as a sugar taste I feel like that you find in a lot of Rieslings. I, I will say that in general, when the European countries produce Riesling for the American market, they try to make it a little bit more friendly and uh, to reach bigger uh, bigger part of the of the crowd. Mm -hmm. uh, this particular winery is very small and doesn't have any any idea of doing that. They just want to preserve the, the real taste of the, of the terroir, the real taste of the grape. And the Riesling can be produced very dry, can be produced bone dry, which is this one. And But uh, as you may, may see in the you get this uh, kind of uh, stone, stony aromas that remind you about clay and mm -hmm. uh, yellowstone in the soils. Then you have the ripe pineapple and peach coming up right after that. Mm -hmm. um, these uh, petroleum notes, they're very common for the Riesling. So you sometimes you smell in the wine something that you don't assume you're going to consume it. 
Okay, great. Thank you so much. All right, we're going to come back to you in a little bit. Yep. All right, so let's move from Bulgaria to Bolivia. Are there any other B countries we can <laughs> no, talk about today? Brazil. Ramon, give us a kind of a 411 on the Bolivian, you know, just spirits and wines in general, because I don't think people are familiar with them. Yeah, no, it's, it's. Uh, I always ask people, we just did a tasting yesterday. Uh, was, yesterday was August 6th, Bolivia's National Day, Independence Day. And uh, we did a big party and a tasting at Gran Cata. And um, I always ask people when I'm tasting them on the spirits or the wine, um, you know, have you ever had Bolivian spirits or wine? And the answer is almost always no. And I said, don't feel bad. They've only been making it for 500 years. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he was looking at me like, you should know you're that old. But <laughs> I don't. So it's, it's a, it's a, there's a long tradition. Bolivia is, um, you know, it's a landlocked country in South America. It's very isolated. Um, it's a small population, only 10 million people. Um, but... It has this rich winemaking tradition that has really gone undiscovered. And now, did that was that something that was sort of naturally over? evolved, yeah. or the it Spaniards? Was a, it was it was certainly the uh, post the post Spanish arrival. Right. Okay. So this is it all comes back to Cerro Rico in Potosí, which is this huge mountain where That's most of the. It's just really easy for you to say. <laughs> Cerro Rico in Potosí. <laughs> yeah, in Potosí, which is this huge mountain where the, you know people talk about the Spanish how they they took so much gold from Latin America that they could build a bridge 20 times back and mm. forth or whatever the number is. Well, most of that came from this mountain, Cerro Rico. And so this is this town, this city uh, at that time, this is in the, uh, what is that, the 16th century, was a really booming place because they had a lot of money, right? And so the Jesuits started setting up in the valleys um, and were making wine for mass. And they realized in these high elevation valleys that were six, 7,000 feet above sea level, well over a mile, you could actually grow really interesting grapes. And that's, they stumbled upon the Muscat of Alexandria grape, which is a very floral and aromatic grape. Mm -hmm. And at elevation, it becomes even more intense. And it's all because of, uh, it's all because of that elevation. The, the, the higher up you go, the thinner the atmosphere. The thinner the atmosphere, the more intense the sun. The more intense the sun, the thicker the skin in the grape, the vascular tissue below the grape, the, the, the skin in the grape. There's going to be and a quiz afterwards. Where, <laughs> Everybody pay attention. And that's, where you get these, <laughs> and, and that's where you get your florals, your aromatics, the complexities, that subtle flavors and notes. Well, let me take it then to Ruhero Singani, which is not really, it's not a wine. It's not, it's not a wine. Yeah, so what spirit. is it? So it's, it's Singani is Singani. As whiskey is a whiskey, okay. tequila is a tequila, cachaca so a is a cachaca. It's a spirit. 80 proof. Um, they make it in the same tradition that they've been doing for 500 years, and it's actually protected by law now. There's only a few valleys you can do it. The minimum altitude for the grapevines and for the distillery has to be 5,250 feet. So were the native Bolivians brewing their own stuff? Everybody, yeah. yeah. People make it all, yeah. And it's but not I mean, a, back, Way back then, is that... It, at that time, yeah. Once, once the Jesuits started making the distilled spirits... It became. It certainly was adopted as a Bolivian. Right. And so, spirit. what is it? I mean, so it's a grape based spirit. There's one ingredient in that spirit. bottle. Okay. Just a, one, a musket of Alexandria grape. Okay. You you take it, ferment it into wine. No yeast add or anything. For this the, is it. My, three weeks. Yeah, please. My first taste. I yeah, know. Please it's really. It. Um, it's really floral. It's super floral. It's super aromatic. Ooh, and you could drive a car on it too. It's <laughs> yeah, it's, nice. It's, but I don't think it's that strong tasting. It's actually not. Yeah, it doesn't have the burn that a, a no, lot of people. There's no would burn, expect. but you can. I mean, there's yeah. alcohol in there. Oh yeah. <laughs> What's it's the alcohol content? Eighty proof. 80 proof. 80 proof. 80 proof, stupid. <laughs> Jesus. He said I'm it. sorry. Well, I missed that part. Okay. I was thinking about the, the Bolivians and the Spaniards and all that. And the gold. <laughs> and the gold. The gold. God bless it, gold. Um, yeah. So it's, it's it, and then they distill it down into a spirit from that, from that wine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, 
our vineyard Rujero is really a really cool vineyard. I went when I so my dad is from Cochabamba, Bolivia, and uh, when he came when he immigrated here 40 years ago, he brought a bottle of Rujero with him. It's an iconic brand down there, um, but it's small, small production, small vineyard. And so when I went down there and I decided I wanted to do this business, um, I met with uh, I met with all the vineyards. There's not a lot, um, and came across Rujero, and they still have on this vineyard this beautiful 250 year old vineyard. They still have the original plant, the grapevines that were planted by the Jesuits, really? cool. and they're growing untrellised along peppercorn trees alongside them. It's wild. It's crazy. It's there's nothing like it. The Romans were the last field one to do trip. It. Yeah, <laughs> trust me. Hey, everybody! Ramon just invited us to Bolivia. <laughs> Bienvenidos. What a great, oh wait, and the audience too. That's what Bienvenidos means, and the audience too. Bienvenidos. The harvest but is so, in March. So now, bringing this to the states. How are you introducing it to people, and how are you bringing it into the D.C. market? Yeah, so uh, that's a, a good question. It's it's tough. You know, the game is is filled with folks who have uh, big po- deep pockets and, and mm-hmm. big brands and all that. And we're certainly small. It's you know, I have a day job, and we're doing this sort of on the side. And but um, what's been fantastic is people like Chad and others in the in in the city have really um, recognized how unique it is mm-hmm. and recognized the quality. And have adopted it. And now, you know, we've basically our, our model was let's go to the best. And because we think we have a really good product. And if they adopt it, others will follow. So I'm not going to find this in my area liquor store yet. So mm-hmm. I, can I get it from you directly? I mean, no, you can get it from like the. We're in probably about 25 liquor stores. Oh, you in are? Area. Okay. We're right. in all so the Virginia ABCs. And we're in, um, and we have a pretty solid presence in Baltimore now. Okay, right. we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, though, we'll find out. How to drink it. Perfect. Okay. This is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. It's very international in studio today. We'll be back in just a bit.
I think now we're back on. All right. Welcome back to Foodie and the Bee. Who's flying this plane, man? All right. So back, uh, Ramon and uh, T Light. T Light, let's talk about how you drink this. Because you're what sitting you there making a cocktail. With. What are you, you doing? Make- so I'm making the traditional um, Bolivian cocktail, which is a sh- called a shuklai. Mm-hmm. It's ginger ale, lime, and singani, so super easy. Um, the ginger really cuts into the florals, mm-hmm. making it. So if you go, you can get to super sweet being a muscat. Um, that even ginger beer is really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fun, the most fun with singani is that it's all those complexities they capture at that high and altitude make it. Super versatile. Mm-hmm. Um, bars in DC play with it like a whiskey, like a gin, like a vodka, kind of you name it, they'll do it. Um, so, what are some of the more interesting uh, concoctions that some of the um, mixers are serving around town? Um, more interesting. What about Columbia Room? What are yeah. they doing at the tasting menu? I mean, they're doing, Columbia Room does ridiculous things. I couldn't even name what Right, they doing. do ridiculous <laughs> things anyway, right. Um, but that's the beauty of Columbia Room is that they, they can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have right now on their mm-hmm. tasting menu two different cocktails you can choose between. One is this awesome passion fruit drink um, that you even get to, they make it, they put the, sugar, how do you, relay or what is yeah, it? Yeah, that's like um, burnt sugar on, mm-hmm. onto the passion fruit and then they, I mean. Like you, they brulee. These I know. guys are artists. It's like a know. meal. It's literally <laughs> right. a meal, yeah. Right. Um, so that that's one of them. I love that one. And, um, the other one's a little bit more boozy with, again, so many things I couldn't even name, mm-hmm. um, but they're both delicious, and I love. But this is super simple. Super yeah. simple. So this is a great summer thing. This is in Bolivia. So Singani, you know, when you drink it straight, because I drink it neat um, or on the rocks with the wedge of lime, but the really it's a, it's a great because it's a strong it's a strong um, spirit. It's great to warm you up in the winter, and that's how Bolivians drink it in the winter, especially at altitude, you know, mm-hmm. fourteen thousand, fifteen thousand feet. They'll drink Singani just straight. But in the summer, they make the chew flies because it's very refreshing. It well, is. This is. Especially if you get a good ginger ale that's not overly sweet. Right. Mm-hmm. It's really yummy. But the other thing that we started doing here that uh, I think plays, uh, that that's very um, appealing to the American palate, is you go to Whole Foods and you get those it's citrusy Italian sodas. Oh, like yeah, yeah. grapefruit, mm-hmm. blood orange, tangerine, whatever. Any citrus goes really well with Singani. That's I bet. All right. All right. Sounds delicious. So it's a nice so I like it. It's d- delicious. No, I mean this is not. You know, I liked it straight, but right. this is a this is a nice, refreshing yeah, nice. Yeah. way to get bombed and not know it. Right. <laughs> uh, and that exactly. is showbiz. So let's tell everybody how to find you guys online and to find. Uh, I assume your distribution is shown online too, so they can find you. In- yeah, exactly. We have. If you go to RujeroSingani dot com, R U J E R O Singani, S-I-N-G-A-N-I.com. You can see all of our uh, we're, all of our locations that we're at and, and, and pick up a bottle. Right. And you can also find that on the list, and you can find that on the show's website, too. So, great, guys. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. Thank, you. Thank, you. Thank you so much. So, Maren, let's go back to you. What did you pour okay. next? Uh, so, guys, it was great listening about these lovely drinks, and I will try to fit it back in with uh, one. I told you Bulgaria is about international grapes, and it's about local grapes. I'm showing you now a, a local variety of a grape. We call it Tamianka. It's maybe hard to remember. Uh, when I present it in London, the people just say, I just want the wine with the tea. That starts with the tea. That's uh, pretty much They're enough. They're so simple over yeah. there. <laughs> Let's make it simple. Uh, Tamianka is actually the local clone of uh, the international grape Petit Grain Muscat. Petit Grain Muscat 
Muscat is the, the royal uh, of, of the family of Muscat and it's not producing sweet wines in general. In Bulgaria especially we, we make it very dry, become very herbal uh, with a um, uh, like mix of uh, herbs. You can just uh, swirl the glass, uh, check it in the nose. This is exactly like a bunch of herbs. We had salvia there. We have um, a sage. We have, uh, I have, of course, we have some uh, like uh, small raisin fruit in the uh, in the in the back. But um, that's what exactly we can expect from this wine. Um, shall we test it together? Yes, let's do that. I already did. <laughs> <laughs> And it's good. Uh, you see how uh, you know, explosion of aromas you get in the in the palate. You, you get the, you get the, a little bit of um, passion fruit. You get the spices. Uh, it's very layered wine. You, you don't just get the citrus or, or something. It is very complex, and that's coming because we have um, different soils in that uh, winery, and it's. Um, it's made in a way that uh, really wants to show the uh, the place where it's coming from. So it, it does want to speak uh, about the place coming from. Uh, Terry T is one of my favorite after he said once that uh, the wine is not enough to have a passport. Uh, you need to have a birth certificate. So this wine is exactly <laughs> a kind of wine that says I'm coming from South of Sakar, which is in uh, I South love of that. It's delicious. All right. All right. Thank you so much. We're going to come back to you in a second. Now we're going to talk about wines again. Sparkling wines. <laughs> Sparkling wines. Eva, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All Good right. morning. All right, Eva Bertrand is with Gloria Ferrar Caves and Vineyards. She's the VP of Marketing. And one thing, because I'm in the marketing business, that really makes you unique is you've been with the company since it started, and you're still there. That's good. Yes. Congratulations. <laughs> so I'm really going to turn this over to you and Nikki to talk about the competition and uh, and 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 you know the the vineyard. But let's first really get into, if we can, what is and who is Gloria Ferrar. Well, Gloria Ferrer is alive and well. You don't, do not need to be dead to have a winery name after you. <laughs> you knew that little fact of life. But um, the Ferrer family, uh, originally from um, just outside of Barcelona, Spain, on the north uh, east of Spain, and uh, have been producing sparkling wine for over 100 years. And in the early 80s, they um, came to Sonoma, California to establish a winery here mm -hmm. to produce excellent sparkling wines, and it was named after the wife of the boss, <laughs> and that is Gloria Ferrer. Yeah, welcome to my world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that sets pretty high standards mm -hmm. for, the, for the winery when you have uh, a name like the wife of the boss. <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about the wines that um, come out of the California winery. So Gloria Fair, we, we produce both a sparkling wine and some uh, still wines all from our state. Mm -hmm. so, of course, we're known for our sparkling wines. We produce in the traditional method, which means we ferment the wine twice. Um, the second one under the, in the underground caves that we have at the winery. And um, the Gloria Ferrer, in, uh, it's... Um, sort of a very uh, stylistically very um, California sparkling wine. It was never the intent to make Spanish wine here in California. Mm -hmm. So we use mostly Pinot Noir and Chardonnay, majority Pinot Noir, like 90% Pinot Noir typically is our blend. Um, because we like what the Pinot Noir brings to the to the character of the sparkling wines of Gloria Ferrer. It's just that that red berry fruit, soft palate, and with a very interesting um, citrus back from the from the Chardonnay. So those are the typically the wines that we produce at Gloria Ferrer. But you have several different kinds. You have your Brut and your Reserve. Uh, tell people just a little bit about the differences so that they can understand when they're looking to to purchase it. 
Yeah, so we produce many different kinds of sparkling wine, and of course, the most obvious probably when you look at it is the Charbonnet. But mm-hmm. the other ones, the ones that are brut and reserve and vintage, sometimes it gets, you know it gets a little confusing. So, in sparkling wines, what we can do is we can blend different grapes, and then we can age them for longer. Um, or less time, for more or less time, and depends on how long you age, you get more complexity or you can get more of that toasty character. Mm-hmm. There is no right or wrong way to do it. It's a, it's a matter of style and what you like. So at Gloriafer, we produce um, some that we age uh, for a minimum of 18 months, which means really that from the time we pick the grapes until we drink the wine, it's almost three years. It's always very labor-intensive <laughs> and time-intensive to produce sparkling wine. And uh, and then we have some of our vintage and reserve wines that, like the Royal Cuvée that we age for seven years, and uh, the one we age the longest is our Carneros Cuvée, which uh, we age for ten years, and that is one that we only produce on um, specific vintages. Well, Eva, let me jump in because I mean you already have the most awarded California sparkling wines; you lead the pack there. Um, so why do the competition? What is the competition? I mean, how much well, more how much more com- branding do you need? And then and then <laughs> let's talk about the competition. Well, let's explain the competition. We explained the competition in the intro, but I think it would make sense to explain the competition further now. Sure. So it's we are we are we're throwing out there an appetizer challenge for consumers to submit their their um, appetizer um, recipes to us. This is the second year we've done it. And um, there's several several things. I think uh, one of them is that appetizers is a great pairing with sparkling wines. Sparkling wines are very versatile, and they pair with many different dishes. But when do you think about if you have appetizers, typically they have a lot of flavors combined, and uh, that's where uh, you know a wine like uh, Gloria Ferrer Sonoma Brut excels with appetizers because. We have the creaminess in the palate. We also have some citrus notes, and all that really plays with the different flavors. So the we're just challenging people to submit their appetizers, and there are many consumers that um, I know they have that appetizer that everybody, when they go to a party, they say, are you going to make that, whatever, whatever is a, a deep or some, you know, the winner last year was a beautiful zucchini blossom stuff with goat cheese and crab meat. So it was like unbelievable. <laughs> but so we're just trying to ask people to submit what they excel on and mm-hmm. that it needs to pair with Sonoma Brut, which is not difficult. No. Now, so the competition is going on <laughs> across the country. How is it being rolled out? It is national. Yes, yeah, a national competition. People can submit their recipes at, um, if you go to the GloriaFerrer.com, mm-hmm. there's a link or go straight to our the website for the competition, which is Glorious Bite. Right. Dot com, and just submit the, the certain requirements of the amount of, of uh, words you can put up, but it, it allows for a lot of recipes. Mm-hmm. And how it's going to roll out is if when we have, uh, it's going to close on August 31st, so get re- Oh, David's you know, birthday. With submitting. <laughs> well, maybe I'll win. <laughs> you have to submit a recipe. <laughs> I have a recipe for hamachi, peanut butter, and jelly. You think that? <laughs> yeah, that'll go great with it. Not so much. Come on, Eva. We're friends. It's in the family. And so, but there are events all over. So you have four events, right? You have one here in D.C. Where are the others? 
So we're going to have then we're going to have uh, submit well, once we have all the recipes, we're going to pick semi-finalists mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll have uh, three different semi-finals with five uh, semi-finalists on each. A total of 18 people will be competing and we'll have them in D.C. in September 22nd in L.A. on, on uh, September 19th and in Austin on uh, the 24th. Mm-hmm. Out of each of these semifinals, one will move to the final round, which will be held here in, uh, at the winery at Gloria Ferrand, Sonoma, mm-hmm. and that will be on October 15th. Wow. So the winner of that gets to win $5,000 right. plus a trip to Sonoma. Can we already assume that I've won with my... <laughs> exactly. No? You're I mean, excluded because I'm I, I just want to say, I, I hope sleeping with one of the judges is not going to disqualify me. <laughs> I just want to say, I want to be honest about it. We never thought of putting that in the small print. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> You're on that one. All right. Uh, Eva, thanks so much for joining us. And everybody, if, if anybody didn't catch all the information, go to the thelistareyouonit.com, Nikki's website. You'll get all the information about the competition and Gloria Ferrer sparkling wines. And, and glorious we, they, fights. And they were nice enough to send some for us to try. And that, that, that Sonoma Brut is it's lovely. yummy. It's mm-hmm. really good. So Thank thanks so, so much. much. Thank you so much for having me. Have a good day. You too. This is David and Nikki Nels with Foodie and the Beast. We've got more in just a sec. All right, we're back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Let's go back to Maran Atanasov from uh, EU Wines. He, you're the chief psalm of the promotional project Fine European Wines, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Fine European Wines, as I told you in the beginning, we're promoting the uh, East European Wines, the new old Europe, the other face of Europe. Uh, you can call it uh, the way you like. It's a mix of new, intriguing uh, destination that can give you a 
uh, new varieties that you would like to learn about it or our read of the international great varieties that you already know. All right. Well, so Restaurant Week starts August 15th. What is your tie-in to Restaurant Week? Are you providing these wines to a bunch of the different restaurants? Exactly. And that's what we're doing uh, in Monday. We're going to show all the wines to the sommeliers and to the metro de hotels, and they can choose cool. out of these wines that will be given to the Washington uh, market mm-hmm. in a very good price, by the way. It will be a lot of promotional prices, so you can reach everybody with uh, these wines, and I hope they're going to like them. Uh, All right, no, maybe. Tell, them tell us a little bit about the one we're trying right uh, now. So this is... Um, uh, this is delicious. Is what uh, this, this is, is exactly a Pinot Noir 2013. Mm. Um, a Pinot Noir 2013. It's a very friendly Pinot. It's a kind of Pinot Noir that uh, you always want to have at least a case in your wine cellar in case somebody some come. It's the Pinot Noir that I imagine uh, when you come after work, you pour yourself a glass, you put your favorite TV show, and just Sit relax. Sit with some hibachi uh, and peanut butter and jelly. And... and <laughs> Uh, in the nose, we have this uh, strawberries. Uh, as soon you 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 put your nose over the glass, so you start... would you eat this with like? I mean, it sort of would go with a, a great pecorino and some prosciutto and something like that. I would choose some party food, just yeah. uh, just yeah, no, it's really, easy. It's but beautiful. If you want to go a little bit more foodie, then I will go with the duck uh, crusted duck. Yeah, I don't go that like foodie. This. I don't go full foodie. You never go full foodie. He's the beast. <laughs> I'm the foodie. Okay. That's how All it right. works. All right, well, okay. let's get ready to pour the next one and let's. Talk Talk to Julie Rogers, who is the head trainer at Orange Theory Fitness. In yeah, Rosalind. hi. Yeah, and so after all this booze, now we need to like sweat it, sweat out, it out, like sweat out the alcohol. So Nick, you did the Orange Theory workout. I did, and you survived. I, I did. I think I would die. You I'd would die. We would get you there. Bring the crash cart. Seriously, not happening. He's so not doing it. Why don't it. we talk about the theory behind Orange Theory and then what the workout is? Yeah, so I really love um, how the creator came up with it. Ellen uh, had the a studio. Crea- the creator? The creator. <laughs> God, but, I didn't I know mean, it went we that hold deep. her at that highest Damn. team. Yeah. <laughs> it's a woman, did you know? <laughs> of course. Um, so she I had. I live with Nikki, of course. <laughs> She had a spin and Pilates studio and wasn't really seeing the results that she wanted for her clients. So it took a couple of years to develop um, what we have now at Orange Theory Fitness. It used to be Ellen's ultimate workout and really just trying to get in an hour um, the most scientifically sound workout um, that a person could get. So she took a couple of years, developed it in her studio um, and then had some business partners come in. And now we have over 300 students. But let's talk about what that process is, because, you know, circuit training has been around, obviously, for a long time with the concept that, you know, you're going to constantly spike up your heart rate as a way of getting your body, you know, to to work off calories and build muscle. And she sort of took that to the next level. Right. So we wear heart rate monitors when you do the workout. Mm -hmm. Um, And that portion of it is really focused on your running. So the interval training there, and it's coming in and out of 84% or higher of your max heart rate Mm -hmm. and then dropping back down. (laughs) It's the dropping down that I would do. Yeah, (laughs) no, that's the best part. So the great, I mean, the great thing about it is all you need is 12 minutes or more in that higher zone to Mm -hmm. get the after effect, which um, we call the afterburn, the science name for it is more EPOC. oxygen and more right so you're continuing to burn because you don't have the amount of oxygen in your body that it needs when you're over 84 percent um, of your max heart rate so the concept is is that after you leave the workout your you're body still is still like right. burning anyway yep you get a little spike in your metabolism for the next 24 to 36 hours because of that time that you 
Let okay. yourself get pretty but This sounds like a workout for really in shape millennials. I mean, what do you do hey, with people? Hey, I'm not a millennial. No, not at all. Yes, you I are, baby. It. You are as far I as I'm it. concerned. But what do you do? I mean, like, for let's. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a good example. For people who are older, I've got two fake knees, so I can do the cross trainer and all that, but it doesn't sound to me like I can actually do your workout. Yeah, it's really cool because we, I mean, we actually, like, Ali Krieger, who's on the U.S. women's soccer team, yeah. um, comes to our studio, works out there, and then you'll have someone who just had a baby or hasn't been off I of the I just had a baby. <laughs> hasn't been off of the no, couch for a couple of weeks. baby. <laughs> so they, it really is scalable. Um, anyone can get their heart rate to 84%. If you're not a runner, you take it down to jogging. If you're not a jogger, we have you power walk. How on do you know what 84% is? So because you're wearing, you're wearing the heart you're monitor. monitor. Oh, and it'll tell you? Wait, hold on. Let's explain. We have to set the scene for everybody. So when you come in right. to the studio, they put a heart monitor on you and then they take all your stats. Right. And then when you walk into the studio, um, you have your number and your number is your treadmill, your rower, and then your workout station. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's a TV. There's a bunch of TVs, but you can see all your stats on the TV and you can see what level you are. I could... I could do yeah, this for I you. Mean, you, yeah, keep going. you can leave now. Does it flash um, up? You are going to die. No, no, no. No, well, now you can take over. But then based on the kinds of exercises that you're being put through, the right. color changes. So what are the colors again? Um, our green is basically your like 30 minute jogging orange. That's when you're going to hit 84% or higher. So that's where orange theory came from. And then red, we don't really coach yeah, to the red, red zone, <laughs> but it's totally fine for most people to get into the red and typically right. when they're doing all out sprints just for short amounts of time. But I think for the Look trainer leading the class, the reason why it's so terrific is because he can see or she can see where everybody is. So right. like if somebody isn't in the orange zone, you know, he can gently coach coax you to be like, come on, push, you can push harder. Yeah, I know absolutely. you can because I can see what you're doing. It's really scalable and really personalized. So we like to call it group personal training mm -hmm. um, because you do get a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention. Um, the trainer is constantly with you on the floor during the floor exercises. So there's a lot of personalized aspects to this group workout where you still have the camaraderie but and the fun. it's not a massive group. group. I mean, how big no. is the group? Um, typically 28. Okay, right, uh, so mine yeah. was only like about Here's 12. my question. Oh, okay. So so that's for overall fitness and, you know, weight loss and all that. But what about if you, I mean, are there free weights? Are there, so it's a whole regular gym yeah, too? Yeah, so on the floor we have um, free weights, TRX straps, which are really great yeah. to create stability. Um, BOSUs, ab dollies, body weight BOSU? movement. The um, it's flat on one side and then it's going to be round on the top. Oh, those. So working, creating a little for bit of instability. And, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so we love to mix in weight training, which is um, an aspect that, Typically, women don't have as much in their fitness routine, um, so building muscle is really important. And um, to keep us like higher calorie burn, more muscle mass is going to help you burn more calories at rest, and we tend to just forget about that part. So that's also something that we just make sure we include into every workout. So since every workout is always different mm -hmm. or predominantly different, when how how is that structured? So. Every class you take is different. Does it depend on, like, does the instructor come up with the class? Like, I'm not asking this right. No, yeah. How, how do you guys do it? Is so, do, are, are the instructors taught certain ways of putting programs together? Like, how is it rolled out? We actually have a team, um, a corporate team that comes up with the workout. So every single Orange Theory in the country today did the exact same workout. Okay. Which is cool. Yeah. So my mom does Orange Theory down in Doral, Florida. And okay. she'll call me and be like, hey, I did this on the workout today. And I'm like, yeah, mom, I coached it 10 times. Like, right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but so we get them out a month in advance. Um, and so it's a team. They have 10 
tested every workout multiple times at different studios before they're rolled out too. So they're not just writing a workout and thinking like, hey, this might work. They go, they write these, they test them, and only then do we get them after that. Well, how many Orange Theories are there in the Washington area? Just that one? No. No, right, so right. We, we have one in D.C. Yeah. Um, and then we have, we're actually opening this week in Pentagon City. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Roslyn, Ballston. We have Clarendon that's coming. Do you dislike Maryland for some reason? So, th- we, there are a couple of Maryland. It's different ownership groups, so I'm not as familiar with Where them. Where are but they in Maryland? There's definitely Gaithersburg. There's not um, in Bethesda. There's there are no in people Bethesda. in Gaithersburg. They're not in Bethesda, yeah. <laughs> they, their studio does great. They, it's great. There are people in Gaithersburg. No, they're not. They're not. All right. You gotta but get a little closer. Few. There's some in Maryland. You gotta get a little closer. We're coming to Navy Yard before probably early 2017. Oh, that'll be close to you. Do we that's smell good. or something? <laughs> yeah, what's the matter with it? Or, you can actually go to the one in Mount Vernon, which no, is what I did. No, that's too much of a schlep. I'm not doing it. I'd be too tired by the time I got there to do it. Your warm up. All right. All right. So, can you get personal training at Orange Theory? No, so it's group personal training. Group personal training. Yeah, Are so you not listening? Not no, I'm asking. I am listening. I'm asking incisive questions. So, in other words, if there's additional weight training and all of that, that's on your own. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we have people that come. I mean, I started Orange Theory as a client when I was training for a marathon. Um, so it was how I got my strength training and interval work in. Um, so I only went twice a week because I was out doing a lot of runs mm-hmm. on my own. And then we have people who come five, six days a week, and that's their primary workout. Well, and I also saw, so one of the guys who was working out when I was there, he did the rowing and the uh, weight training, but he did not do the um, treadmill. He did other things. Like, he sort of made it his own, I guess, in that way. Is that not normal? Or he had bad knees. Or maybe something like that. I mean, we have, so we have two bikes um, and a strider, like an elliptical. He was on the elliptical. So that's always an option. So if you have any injuries, um, we want to still get people moving and active and building muscle to support those injuries. Mm -hmm. So you can do that um, on the bike instead, and you're still able to get into those heart rate zones um, and get the benefits of the workout. Yeah, so it's definitely, I mean, I've had people with casts come in and take a workout workout. Um, it's a great challenge for us as coaches to figure out, okay, how do I still deliver an amazing workout for this person? So it's fun. All right. Excellent. Let's tell everybody where to find the uh, Orange Theory online. Yeah. So it's just orangetheoryfitness.com. Mm-hmm. Um, we are literally all over the place. So if you put in your zip code, it'll pull up the closest studio to you. Your first class is free. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's worth it. Grab a girlfriend, come on in. And take a workout. Right, so cool. fun. Or Julie, boyfriend. thanks so much. Then you'll earn a drink. All All right. <laughs> or sweat out the one for the night before. And speaking of drinks, let's right. bring in Chad and Grace. Grace. Come on, Grace. Come on, sit down. Hi, how are you? Hi. Hi. So, so this is kind of a combination of uh, genius efforts. So uh, Lebanese Taverna is a great chain of, of, of restaurants. Don't say chain. Don't say group. chain. It's group. a family-owned oh, right. restaurant. Okay, locally. it's not a chain. It's a group. Okay. It's a group of chains. Uh, it's a group <laughs> of restaurants, um, uh, family-owned, great, great Lebanese cuisine. And and Chad is actually a you're sort of a mixology consultant, right? Yeah. And you're you're with. Why, why don't we do a little bit on your background because we're going to be talking about this new drink that uh, is offered at uh, uh, Lebanese Taverna. Sure. So, I mean, I've worked for a variety of different restaurants and restaurant groups, but primarily I run a consulting group with my business partner, Glendon Hartley. Who was in a couple of weeks ago. Right. Yeah. And we have worked with Lebanese Taverna for four years now. They're one of our best clients. And 
You had to say that, didn't you, Chad? Of course. (laughs) Thank you, Chad. Thank you. (laughs) Well, it's really fun to work with them because it's a unique concept. We don't get to play around with Middle Eastern ingredients, and we don't get to focus on those flavor profiles a lot. So we do cocktails for them. Some have figs in them. We use parsley, lemon, jalab, which is uh, an ingredient using kind of figs and rose water, Mm -hmm. and several other Lebanese-focused things. And that's kind of where we came to the drink that we're going to make for you right now, where, well, the drink is called milk and honey, and we use what we call chickpea milk, and it's sweetened with a little honey, and we use a little bit of scotch as well. All right, well. and why okay, don't well, we wait. stop there? Let's, do we have to take a break? We have to take a break, and then you can tell us how you yeah, milk Yeah, because I, I want to talk about how we yes. came here. Yeah, <laughs> milk the chickpeas. All right, because um, we had, Grace and I had a very uh, interesting conversation about chickpea... Water. Water and aquafaba. Aquafaba, yes. And uh, we're going to find out about all that because it's very big in the paleo diet right now. Yes. All right. <gasps> what? <laughs> <laughs> this is David and Nikki Nellis with Foodie and the Beast. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, we're back on Fooding the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We quickly want to thank our sponsors. If you're not a sponsor, you should be ashamed of yourself. Grace. Uh, <laughs> our friends at ProFish, Clyde's Restaurant Group. It's so the, embarrassing the when Black he does Restaurant that. You have no idea. You, you, you know, I'm referring to them as restaurant groups and not chains. See? That's what I do. <laughs> sponsors. And our friends at Celebrity Cruises, you'll hear more at the end of the show about mm-hmm. the cruise that we're all going to be taking in January. Yep. So let's go back to Grace and Chad. Okay, so when we left off, so Grace and I were talking about this Aquafaba. Aquafaba. Okay, so tell everybody what it is. So, well, you know, we've been around 37 years, and we mm-hmm. serve traditional Lebanese food, so we're always trying to find ways to be innovative mm-hmm. with ingredients that we use in our food. And chickpeas and hummus, as you know, is 
very popular. I mean, when we opened the restaurant, no one knew what hummus was. And it's like, you know. Is that amazing? It's crazy. I mean, now. It's crazy. It's ubiquitous. It's uh, in everybody's fridge. I was in everywhere. Price Club, and they had SpongeBob individually packed hummus, you know. <laughs> right, for kids like, to take to lunch. That's when you right. know you've made it. When SpongeBob's on hummus, it's like, you know, you're there. <laughs> so, so. I mean, I'm going to debate you on that. How does the hummus stay together? How does it stay together at the bottom of the ocean? Though? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I mean, let's Crabby think about Patty. that. Crabby Patty with hummus. Um, but you can tell I have kids, right? Right. Um, but so we're always trying to find ways to be innovative. And, you know, that was one of the reasons why we partnered up with Chad in terms of finding, you know, things that we use in our food to make new things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, aquafaba and chickpeas and chickpea water, there's so much of it around, you know, because there's so much hummus being produced. Right. And... Um, it was only in 2014, I think, in France that they figured out that the water that's used to cook the chickpeas in um, is a substitute for egg whites. And you can use this to make a meringue. You can use this to make cocktails. You know, like Does it get very viscous? I oh, mean- it is. The water itself is very viscous. And, and when if you look at a picture, if you google aquafaba lemon meringue and you'll see a pie and it looks just like lemon meringue pie so can you take it and like scramble it sc- well i don't know if you can cook it but as a raw product as the meringue as they whip, cool. it, whip it whip it whip it they whip it good they whip it good okay. yes <laughs> and for our applications Sorry. you can use it like an egg white in a cocktail a lot of people like are like a with- pisco sour yeah, exactly yes. and actually yes. we brought some aquafaba and i'm going to shake it right now and you'll see how foamy it gets and it can stabilize. What does it taste like? like chickpeas? I mean, it's a mild chickpea flavor. It has so, really okay. intake. But so I was getting confused. So, so that's aquafaba. What aquafaba is just the liquid. It's just the liquid from the cooked chick- cook cook chickpeas. Cooked chickpeas. So like when you drain a can. Yes. A chickpeas, if you don't yes. make well, We would own. never use Obviously, a can. I'm just we, talking we about me. We make our own chickpeas, yes. That, oh, cool. That water. I don't need to taste yeah, it. I can see That it. water is aquafaba. And Amazing. they use it to make vegan mayonnaise. They use it for so many I'm things. drinking hummus. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we're, what we actually use in this drink is chickpea milk. Oh, it's good. So, you know, like there's right. nut milks. There's all these different kinds of milks. This is chickpea milk. So it's healthier. It's vegan. There's a lot of properties that... So the drink the drink has sugar in it, right? It has honey. So it has honey. It's it's no, not... no, no, no. You're confusing things now. This is not a paleo drink. No, no, because... no, no, no. The, the the milk is the chickpea milk is the paleo. Chickpea milk right. is paleo because yes. it's just chickpea. But the drink is No, no. I was asking what else well, goes into the drink. I don't think drink. alcohol is paleo. Yeah, right. But, that's I mean... my point. <laughs> well, they say cavemen are dumb, and so I. No, so this drink it's called milk and honey, right? Because it has honey, mm-hmm. um, and it uses the chickpea milk really and good. and mm-hmm. um, Johnny Walker Black here are. are Good old faithful, um, and Chad, I, I think you guys have had a chance to taste it. It's pretty darn good for a chickpea drink, right? No, I it's mean, a pretty good drink. Yeah. Period. Period. But you know, knowing that's made with chickpeas makes it really unique. Well, the the thing is, the I'm not a big cocktail guy. When the cocktail, when the when the mm-hmm. alcohol taste is, you know, when it's two two, mm-hmm. you don't taste the alcohol at all. You don't sense it, smell it, taste it. It's it goes down really subtle. nicely. Yeah. And smacks you in the head later. And it, it goes great with the hummus. You know, you eat that puffy bread and the hummus and you have the... I mean, you're like, you oh, pee so all over. <laughs> pee all over? No. <laughs> oh, I'm not that old yet. So are you incorporating this in into other things? We're working on it. We're trying to find 
how we can use it in a Middle Eastern because we 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 will veer off a little bit from traditional Lebanese food, mm-hmm. but not too much. So we're trying to find it besides this drink a way that we can incorporate it into something that's more traditionally Lebanese. So Chad, when you first got it, how did you figure out how to play with it? Or were you like, this is easy, I can totally do this? Well, a really common ingredient in cocktails is something like orgeat syrup, which is just almonds in French. Mm-hmm. And it's basically making fresh almond milk and then sweetening it. And sometimes you'll flavor it with orange flower water. But we do that with a variety of different nut milks. So we've done it with pistachios before, with cashews, with peanuts. Uh, you do it with coconuts and make coconut milk as well. So mm-hmm. when we were starting to look at, you know, how can we do a fuller bodied, more creamy slightly on the sweeter side cocktail for this location, chickpeas were kind of a a natural way to go because Mm -hmm. it's such a common ingredient and because of, you know, the new research coming out about aquafaba. So it's not aquafaba, but it goes along the same lines. You still cook the chickpeas, you still make them into a puree. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the difference is that you're pureeing the chickpeas first. So you get more of the creaminess, you get more of that. There's a little more heft. But it's not, I mean, you're not... You don't, it's not like a shake or anything, you know, it's Mm-mm. just like anything else. It's truly it's a milk. Nice. I mean, it's yeah. really light and easy. It's so, just like if you made almond milk and then sweetened it with like a little honey. Same exact thing. Right. I've got to jump in because we got to move back tomorrow and then wrap up. The show's almost over. So every Lebanese taverna offers this drink now? Every restaurant, yes. The six locations. In, in the group. In in the group of restaurants <laughs> that are family owned. Could be a group when you're an advertiser. wonderful That's... family. Right. Um, <laughs> Her family. No, it's, it's, so, because you, you've got to. I mean, when I go in there for lunch, even you got a pretty lively bar scene there. Yeah, no, it's been you know we've been growing that portion of our our company, and so it's great to to be able to have good food and good drink along with it. All right, That's thanks. Great. Go to taverna dot com. Well, yes. Okay. And can you just tell us quickly when you're opening up your new space? Because you're sure. here, and you should yeah. tell us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, about mid September, we'll be opening Service Bar mm-hmm. on nine twenty six U Street. It's right where Vermont and you meet, across for the street from El Rey, and it's the same block as Nelly's. So. Yeah, Glendon and I are actually opening our first cool. bar. That'll be our own. Excellent. We can't wait. Congratulations. All right, Martin, we got about two minutes, and I want to make sure all, we're, if we're in the D.C. area and, you know, fine, we go to Restaurant Week, but where can we find these wines just to purchase? Uh, just to purchase uh, uh, Sema Wines are actually uh, our representative here in uh, D.C., okay. so if you just want to Google it. If you want to learn a little bit more about the project, you can go to www.fineeuropeanwines.com. Fine uh, European wines. Yeah, if you contact any of the emails there, they can give you any of the information. And um, uh, should I just present the one or two yeah, wines? No, just tell us about the last one. Uh, the, the last one. Okay, so we, we go with this one, and it's uh, I choose organic wines because in uh, East Europe and in Bulgaria, in, in uh, particular, we start paying attention to go back to the roots, uh, find uh, what was a little bit more important. Uh, um, this is organic wine coming from the Trashian region. It's a blend between Merlot and Mavrut, 2013 the vintage, a very precise, very good year for Bulgaria in general, actually the best in the last five years. The Merlot is an international grape variety, Mavrut is vocal, so put them together. Uh, the Mavrut, uh, we are a li- little bit uh, shy about it because um, when it's a single grape variety, it doesn't age so well. Don't be shy. <laughs> <laughs> when we put it together with Merlot, it's actually more balanced. So you get this uh, uh, very fruit forward, a little bit wild, not polished because it's organic wine, but very fruit forward, jammy. It's almost feel like you're eating it rather than drinking it, you know. 
Uh, really like uh, malt feeling. <laughs> All right, that's great. Well, it's delicious. All right, so everybody can get a taste of Bulgarian wines during DC's during, restaurant during week. Restaurant Week starting on the fifteenth. Now, yes, you think Nikki's a hot shot because she's working with Gloria Ferrar. She's also the DC brand ambassador for I'm celebrity just a hot cruises. Shot, period. <laughs> End of story. Shot is not the word I would use, but we're on the radio. Um, and um, uh, so, if you think you have fun with Foodie and the Beast listening to the show, you can get us 24-7, seven days in a row, on an upcoming cruise that Nikki curated. Why don't you tell them about it? So, I have been fortunate enough to have been asked to be the uh, Celebrity Cruise uh, Regional Ambassador, and I've been doing that now for over a year, and most recently, they had me curate a cruise that's going to be launching January 28th with chefs Mike Isabella, Marjorie Meek Bradley, David Guas, and... Derek Brown from the Columbia Room we were oh, talking boy. about earlier. So they are going to be uh, doing some demos and cooking up um, a fabulous barbecue lunch on an island. Do you want to talk? Where I feel are like you, you cruising want to talk. from and to? And what's going to be happening on the cruise, <laughs> Well, Nikki? I was getting to that. No, Thank you for asking. All right. Well, then why don't you tell them? All right. We leave out of Miami on January 28th. We're going to Cozumel, the Caymans, Jamaica, and uh, Hispaniola, it's a little party island, basically, off the coast of Haiti. We're not the, going to Haiti. But the party so, is not in Hispaniola. The party's in Cozumel. The party's and, in Cozumel. And Derek, and, Derek and, and Mike and Marjorie and David are going to be doing, we're going to have private cooking classes and private dining and parties, and you're going to hang out at poolside with them. If you're any kind of foodie groupie, this is the time to hang out with Mike Isabella and party with him. And it's just going to be a week of fun. From Miami, back to Miami. January 28th to February 4th. Okay, so we hope you'll join us, and you can find us on dcchefscruise.com. And we want to thank all of our participants today for joining us. This was really a delicious show. Thank you. And next week is going to be more fun. It is National Rum Day, and we'll be doing it in studio. Oh, boy, more booze. (laughs) Everybody have a delicious week.